That's a clown question, bro. Hey, what's up on you? So I'm gonna kick some dirt. He gets on base. Just a bit outside. I'm not the type of player that's gonna be Johnny Hustle. If you don't want me to watch the ball, you can go get it out of the ocean. And welcome to Above Replacement Radio, where we're talking baseball kind of whenever. I am your host, Chris Gianta. Over the over, over on, the, on the other side of the screen is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? I'm not going to lie. Every time you do the intro, I start to wait and think like, all right, is he going to say the show to be named later? Is he going to say Above Replacement Radio? Is he going to get it? And you got it this time, so I'm proud of you. Yeah, it's. Uh, I've become a little more aware. Mm-hmm. Um, it really, yeah, it, it depends on how much I think about it. Cause I do the one time I did say show to be named later. It just, I didn't think about it at all. No. You got You got to think. I didn't think about the title at all, but yeah. Uh, it's our third episode under that emblem. And we got quite a bit to talk about. Uh, this is, you yeah. know, we've, we've had one of the, you know, it's arguable whether, I guess, yeah, this is probably the biggest trade because it's two big guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, biggest trade of the offseason thus far. Uh, first move by Steve Cohen. And, you know, we've also first got... Big move. First trade, I think, period. Like, he's know, obviously, he's signed James McCann. He's signed Trevor May. This is the first big trade that he's made. Yeah, and we've got uh, some more minor signings that um, could end up being major. I think one of them, one of them has a... Uh, sort of a deeper meaning uh, sort of in a way. And there's some, I guess, talks that uh, with a certain free agent that I want to get into because um, I think there's some sort of uh, 3D chess being played here. I do too. I think I know where you're going. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then uh, we're getting into our, I think, eighth, uh, Hall of Fame bubble case of the week with uh, Billy Wagner to close out the episode. That'll be probably in the final uh, half hour or so. Yeah. But first, uh, we'll get into the biggest trade, biggest uh, move of the offseason, um, I would say, because of the combination of the two. Uh, Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco are being traded to the Mets for uh, a lot of players, the hot, the package of players going to the Indians are hot, are uh, are headlined by Andres Jimenez and Ahmed Rosario, and then there's uh, some prospects to go along with them. But very very big news for uh, the other pinstriped team in New York. Yes. So uh, we could look at this from the Cleveland side, but I think we should save that because, you know, this is, this is good for the Mets. So we'll talk about the Mets because there is a lot to be said on the Cleveland Indians side of this trade. So with that being said, the Mets are coming into next year. They've already made a few big moves. They've gotten Trevor May. They've gotten James McCann. They're still looking towards George Springer and maybe Trevor Bauer, but this is the big one. This is Francisco Lindor, a one-year controlled free uh soon to be free agent shortstop who you could argue is the best shortstop in the league and you and i i think right now he becomes the face of their franchise i mean i don't even think that's up for debate um the mets yeah uh him and degrom maybe yeah i think there's a there's a guy wearing number 48 okay it's between them but even then like lindor is going to be on the field every day 
that's that's true. And that's if you true. look at it personality wise, like Lindor is obviously much more outgoing than Degrom. Yeah, and he's probably in terms of the face of what's coming in Queens. I guess that's that the one. Lindor would be the face of that. Yeah. So he comes over to the Mets. Uh, it's a. I really like the fit because the one thing that always worries me about the Mets and their big players that they bring in is that they play in such a huge ballpark that it does concern me that we're going to have another like Jason Bay because I think I, we all have PTSD from seeing what he did once he came to the Mets. His power just shrunk. But Lindor isn't necessarily a power guy. I know that he has had three 30 home run seasons in his career, but like he is a guy that sprays the ball. He can hit doubles into the gap. You know, he has speed. He can uh, turn singles into doubles, doubles into triples. Uh, and occasionally he will give you the long ball. Uh, but I think this is a good uh, fit for him as far as ballpark wise. He's going to a team that's obviously looking to contend for a World Series immediately. Like the Mets are in win now mode. I don't even think that's disputable. And they're also going to get Carlos Carrasco. Yeah, Carlos Carrasco uh, is along with this, you know, it's, you know, if if it was Lindor, uh, alone in this deal, I would say that um, Darvish to the Padres would have been the biggest move of the offseason. But because both Lindor and Carlos Carrasco are headed to the Mets, I think this is the uh, this is the biggest uh, story, uh, biggest move of the uh, offseason. And yeah, Carrasco, uh, pretty. I would say underrated pitcher in baseball. He's just been absolutely very, very consistent outside of the uh, outside of the year in which he had uh, leukemia, which you, you can't really blame that on him. Yeah. You, uh, you understand, you know, he, he had some distractions and something that was uh, taking away from his physical ability. And then he bounced right back in yeah. 2020 with a two nine one ERA. He was one of my, how about that? Yeah, he was. Uh, he's a guy, if you like strikeouts, you like Carlos Carrasco. If you like uh, run prevention, you also like Carlos Carrasco. If you like, uh, I mean, I guess maybe not in the past couple of years, but if you like guys that can win the ball game, uh, he won, he led the league in wins in uh, 2017. So all around, uh, very good pitcher. And uh, I mean, should, I mean, joining a pretty now deep Mets rotation with, yeah. DeGrom, Stroman, now Carrasco and, and Cindergard. When he comes back in like June. That's true. That's uh yeah. not in the rotation c- currently, I guess. By the way, do you think because my initial reaction was this when the Mets traded for Marcus Stroman in 2019, I always knew that their intentions for him was 2020 and beyond. Even if, even though he was going to be a free agent after 2020, they definitely planned on re-signing him and making him a part of this bigger rotation. I know that. The, the argument is that that was a completely different group of people, but I think the Mets have Marcus Stroman in the exact scenario that they pictured him right now. Uh, yeah. I, you know, even um, like Cohen probably would have pursued him on the market, even if he just had gone into the market. Yeah. And um, I mean, he, he accepted the qualifying offer. So it's not necessarily like it would have been much different if the Wilpons were still in town or if Brody Van Wagenen was still in town. Um, if, if, uh, if Stroman or if, uh, if the Wilpons were in town, you're saying that Stroman would have taken the qual- qualifying offer. 
I mean, yeah, it's the qualifying offer. Like, I'm sure the Wilpons would have offered it. I mean, it's kind of a bare minimum thing to do with an incoming free agent. And uh, I, I don't think it would have changed. I mean, I'm, cer- I'm certain that Steve Cohen did have an impact in uh, his decision to accept it, but I don't think it would have been too much different if the same ownership was still in. Maybe not too much different, but I do remember, uh, I think Stroman tweeted something about Cohen buying the Mets and like, well, sure. I mean, there is reason to be excited, of, of course. Yeah, sort of implying that, like, he's ready to um, be a part of what, what he's building. But, yeah, it yeah. it could have been pretty similar. But uh, anyway, like, yeah, the, the rotation is very respectable right now. It's not, just, uh, it's not just DeGrom at the top and then kind of falls after that, which is – what it was last year, especially without uh, yeah. Stroman or Syndergaard. Right. Yeah. Now, now you have a, a very respectable rotation. Uh, the lineup we've kind of talked about is uh, respectable in its in its own right. Even like, you know, Pete Alonso had a down year last year. That's probably not going to happen again. Uh, you know, McNeil. It's hard to make too many judgments based off of a sixty game sample. Exactly. Exactly. You know, you have McNeil. Uh, Michael Conforto, now Francis Lindor. Uh, Dom Smith had a big year. Dominic Smith, James McCann. Yeah. Um, you yeah you have a very respectable team with uh with the Mets there and like and also what should be noted, I guess as we talk about the future of this Mets team, is uh, you know this isn't my take. I kind of took it off of Twitter. I forget who said it, but um the Mets or the yeah the Mets traded both of their possible shortstops of the future in Jimenez and uh Rosario they fully it seems like they fully 100% plan on extending Francisco Lindor it seems like it I mean Steve Cohen is kind of in a really good spot uh you know he hasn't had financial losses from the pandemic strictly based on the, the losses from the MLB season, because of course he wasn't here last, you know, he wasn't there last year. He also comes in as the richest owner in baseball and a team that has plenty of, uh, you know, working room before they hit the luxury tax. And yeah, I would be honestly at this point, I'd be very surprised if Francisco Lindor hits free agency. Uh, yeah, for sure. You know, I guess, I guess it would be considered uh, much more greatly that he's taken out of that great shortstop free agent class that will be happening uh yeah after this year with uh Correa Seager Seager Correa um story uh yeah story I think yeah big deal um because yeah because he played he started in 2016 so 2021 would be his sixth year that's right of control and yeah he played on he wasn't um he wasn't held back. He played on opening day, had a spectacular yeah. opening day. Correa was held back in Seager. I think with Seager was a September call up in 15, but he wasn't really anticipated to be on the roster in 15. Anyway, I want to go over one quick stat. I found to show how underrated Carlos Carrasco is, especially in the context of this trade. So from 2017 to 2020, Francisco Lindor has a 120 OPS plus. It's pretty good. It means he was about 20% above average offensively in that time. Carrasco since 2017, a 126 ERA plus. So Carrasco, in a way, was actually more dominant at his particular craft 
than Francisco Lindor was. And I know that Francisco Lindor is a defensively based player. He's stronger, you know, in the field than he is with the bat. But, uh, and that's not a knock against Lindor at all. It's just to shine a light on Carlos Carrasco to show that how good he really has been uh, in the last four seasons. Yeah. And ERA plus it's harder. It's significantly harder to be that much above uh, average. Like, the OPS plus leaders go like there's one with uh, there's a guy with there's Babe Ruth with over 200 OPS plus uh, like there's Ted Williams with 191. There's bonds with 182. The ERA plus leaders go Mariano Rivera at 205, which is he's a reliever. And then the next best is Clayton Kershaw, who's in the 150s. So it's a lot harder to have a higher ERA plus than like OPS plus. It's harder to separate yourself like that. Yeah. And Carrasco uh, is sort of, is sort of doing that. And yeah, he's, his, uh, his dominance has kind of gone under the radar because he's pitching with in like a fantastic staff. And, you know, at one point the staff was Corey Kluber's and then at another point it was, and now it's Shane Bieber's pitching staff. So he's kind of been caught up in all that, but he's been, any and Carrasco kind of moves into a role where he gets to be the same type of pitcher. Like he doesn't, you know, he's always he's never had to lead a rotation in Cleveland, and he's always succeeded under that method. And now he comes into a, a rotation in Queens where you have Degrom, you have Syndergaard coming back, you have Stroman. There are other guys that they can, you know, that have the same role where Carrasco doesn't have to step up and be that guy or the guy. Yeah, exactly. He can kind of go about his business the same way he was in uh in cleveland for sure yeah um and he can probably bring a lot more knowledge over to there over in new york like, yeah that know, is, like, the uh, indians have a pitching factory so there's obviously something that he took from that that he can now apply to the mets yeah that's true and you know he yeah worked in worked in that pitching factory he was teammates with you know like trevor bauer for uh like a while five six years something yeah. like that not saying that Trevor Bauer is like the end all be all for, you know, pitching evolution, but it, it, I would, I would guess it helps uh, being with him for five plus years or, or whatever, uh, whatever it ended up being. Um, but yeah, like biggest move, biggest move for the Mets thus far there, the Mets and Padres are, are fighting right now for uh, the biggest off season winners thus far. Uh, but and yeah, and I guess maybe we transition to the uh, the Indians here and, and what it means for them. Um, it's just uh, you know Paul Dolan. We've 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 talked about Paul Dolan in the past uh, repetitively. He didn't want to pay uh, Francisco Lindor. Yeah, this clearly. goes back. This goes back to the start of the 2019 season, Chris. Uh, during spring training, Francisco Lindor was coming into that year with three years left on his deal. He was halfway through his first contract. He just became ARB eligible. After one year of ARB, all Paul Dolan had to say was, enjoy him. As a direct quote, he said, enjoy him, because you know he's not going to be here for long. And it's really sad when you're the Indians and you've had, for the entirety of the last 20 years, you've had a franchise player a guy that shapes your shapes the entire uh, build of what your franchise is a team that's gone to the playoffs cons consistently uh, around once every 10 years or so. 
And every single time they're let go, Jim Tomey ended up leaving. Kenny Lofton ended up leaving. Albert Bell ended up leaving. Manny Ramirez ended up leaving. That go, that's the you know early 90s or the late 90s, early 2000s teams. And then you bring in 2007, Grady Sizemore eventually leaves. Travis Hafner, uh, I think, eventually left. I could be wrong there. But CeCe Zabathia left. I mean, all those guys left. And now you're coming into this you know, group of Indians where you've already traded Trevor Bauer. You've already traded Corey Kluber. You've already traded Mike Clevenger. And now you have Francisco Lindor. By the way, I forgot to mention Kenny Lofton. He also left. He got traded. Um, Francisco Lindor, the face of your franchise, Mr. Smile, a two-time gold glover, a platinum glover, four-time all-star, two-time silver slugger, with one year left on his deal. Actually, not even with one year. With three years left on his deal, you've not even – most people weren't even thinking about the idea of him not being on the Indians yet. And all you could say is enjoy him. And – if you if you can't if you can't sit, consistently can't pay guys like this and you're in a market that's expected to win a lot, why do why do you still own the team? Why are you still here? Why do you have a why are you building a team that is worth thirty five million dollars going into two thousand twenty one if you can't afford if you are if you're expected to win and you keep building up these really talented players every single year? Yeah, it is. It it's odd. It just seems like a just seems like an investment for uh, him financially because he will walk away from all of this uh, richer for sure as as uh, most owners do. Yeah. And yeah, it's one of those what if scenarios. What if like the Indians probably would have won a, won a championship by now if they were as financially flexible as, you know, teams that regularly won championships. And to play devil's advocate here, like I know that they have, like Paul Dolan has, you know, end up putting teams in a really good position to win. You know, they were obviously, they're obviously two outs away from a championship in 97. They had three chances to win one game in 2016. They should have won in 2017. They were up 2-0 on the Yankees. But, you know, obviously they do put teams out there that can win games. But at the end of the day, they're not putting themselves in a position to win based on what the owner does. It's the players on the field that ended up getting, you know, screwed over like Francisco Lindor here, where we're not even, ta- we're not even, they're not even giving them a choice uh, to be a, an Indian for life. Yeah. And it, it's like the, it's the players and um, in upper management, like general, yeah. like whoever the gen- general manager is uh, makes where, where they're like in, in deals where they have to be like, where they have to trade a guy like Lindor Mm -hmm. um they'll get a good return back you know we've you know the indians uh are good at winning trades but sometimes that's not all what it's about i wouldn't say it's the case here yeah you know it's it and we'll see you know it it all gets whoever wins trades it always gets determined like five or six years later ultimately by the way um, going back to those statements he made about Lindor, about how you need to enjoy him in that same breath. Uh, so he said that I will be paying people $300 million contracts when other teams are paying people a billion dollars. So he's openly admitting that he doesn't want to be with the system. He doesn't want to be, uh, you know, among the biggest competitors as far as ownerships in this game. He doesn't want to spend the money. And if that's the case, if you're openly admitting that, what are you doing? Like, why are you still here? Why do you still compete with these guys when you know you don't want to? And you see people obviously getting better players than you. 
Yeah. Um, it's weird. You know, you can't, can't really get into, uh, into the mind of, of the guy, but yeah. yeah. I have one last point. Uh, why is Jose Ramirez still on this team? Why hasn't he been traded? Why have there been rumors about him? He's supposed to be a free agent after 2021 pending a team option for 22 and 23. Uh, I can't imagine he's going to end his career with Cleveland. He's basically the only player on this team. Uh, other than Shane Bieber, who's, you know, still in the first couple of years of his deal that has some sort of trade value. He should have been an MVP last year. He's a guy that you can get a lot of value for. Uh, you might as well trade him if you're really going to blow it up like this. Yeah. That's the thing with the Indians is they never quite, they never quite do a full blow up. They're always kind of muddling around and, you know, sometimes they'll win a division title. Sometimes they won't, but yeah, I mean, they'll, they'll probably milk him for as long as they can. They'll probably have him this year and next year and maybe trade him in like 2023. Yeah. It's just kind of what they, what they do. They've uh, whenever they've traded a, a guy, they do it, you know, on usually in their last year of control or their second, la- second to last year of control. And I can't imagine the team options are uh, very expensive um, for the Indians being that you know the contract itself is five years 26 million dollars so it can't be that much more than like 10 million dollars which you know they're they're still willing to spend for you know 10 million dollars a year for a a guy like jose ramirez but yeah um he'll uh uh, he'll probably be around till his last year of control are jose ramirez and roberto perez the only players left from 2016 um and I guess Carlos Santana, but he's also left at times. Um, Actually, no, Carlos Santana's on the Royals now. Never mind. Yep, that is, uh, that's true. He also um, had the funniest slash line in the league last year. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Carrasco's gone. Um, I'm trying to see here. Was Cesar or Cesar no. Hernandez no, he was on the he was Phillies, Philly. right? Yeah. Uh, Tyler Naquin, yeah. Oh, okay, Tyler Naquin, fair enough. Yeah, he was there. Um, Clevenger is gone. Uh, Brad Hand was not there. Bradley Zimmer, did he come up in sixteen? Um, nope, he did not. So it seems to be Jose Ramirez and uh, Tyler Naquin and Roberto Perez and Roberto Perez. Yeah, that's it. The- wow are the three players uh, still remaining from their 2016 AL pennant winning team. But yeah, uh, any, any more thoughts on, uh, on this deal? It's very weird how, so I saw a tweet this week that said Moneyball isn't about, you know, the stats. It's about the market inefficiencies and finding them. And apparently the market inefficiency in the league right now is actually improving your team because a lot of teams seem to be very against that. And the Indians are kind of falling into that pit. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and also, um, I guess, uh, I guess we should talk about where we view the Mets in the national league East currently. Um, you know, I, we both agree that the Braves are still the favorites to win the NL East, but I think the percentages of the the percentage chances of the Mets like winning the division go from like maybe 
10% to 20%, 25%. And I think like it's the NL East we've talked about pretty weird division. Yeah. And like, I, w- I would say they're the favorite for second place, but like, I don't know, like what do the nationals look like in a full season? Maybe, maybe they won't be as bad as they were last year, even though they were in last place, but it's hard to, hard to gauge sort of, but I feel like they should be a, a favorite to get, you know, even in the old school playoff system, like a, a spot in the wild card right now. Yeah. Just, I mean, if you're the Braves, you're obviously sitting here and you're thinking, okay, like the vision's not going to be ours. It's not going to be a lock this year. Like in the last, you know, essentially two years, I won't really count 2018 because they weren't expected to win the division that year. But, you know, 2019, 2020, the Braves were, uh, they had everything to lose in that division. This year, I think it's, I still think it's the same, but, you know, the Braves obviously are on alert now that the Mets are coming and they are, they are making every move to get themselves to where the Braves are at. Uh, If you're the Mets, you should still make the playoffs. Like this team should make the playoffs. It absolutely should. Whether that be the division, whether that be the wild card, regardless of if there's expanded playoffs or not, this team should have the record uh, to make it to the division. By the way, if they go with the original division format, like the the original playoff format with two wild card teams, it'd be really funny if we get like a Padres Mets or a Dodgers Mets uh, wild card game. Um, because of uh, just because it's like the like the Padres and the Mets. Okay, let's say it's Padres Mets. Those are the two like off season winners at this point. Yeah, That's the, not, neither of them win the division and they play in a one game playoff. Decide yeah. who played the top team. Probably yeah, not. it would be funny if it was like for the wild card game, like uh, maybe DeGrom was already had like pitched the day before and it ends up being like Carrasco versus Snell or something like that. Yeah. And then there's the NL Central team. Yeah, it, the NL Central team might be the NFC East team of yeah. 2021. <laughs> You're just sitting around waiting in this division so you can lose to an NL East team or an NL West team. Yeah. I, I mean, like, we might see another 83 win Cardinals team win the division. Like, that's, yeah. very, that's very possible. Yep. And, like, I don't know. I don't think they'd win the World Series, but they didn't think that at the time either. So, in 20 and 06. In, back in 06. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be weird going to be uh interesting yeah so anyway some that was not the only news of the uh uh, in the world of baseball in the past week um some more minor deals but still you know pretty pretty big deals uh in a way i guess that's contradictory but yeah blake trinan uh who you may have known from his time with the a's and last year pitched with the Dodgers, did well in the playoffs, did well in general. Uh, he re-signed uh, with the Dodgers for two years, close to $18 million. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking Trinan uh, could possibly sneak in and, and be the Dodgers' closer at some point. He probably could. I mean, we've seen for a couple of years now that Kenley has sort of been fading a little bit. Uh, Blake Trinan, if he does... He was a, he was about a midway point between his 2018 and 2019 last year, which is really what they needed him to be. I mean, you can't really expect him to replicate an 078 ERA with a 531 ERA plus, 
but uh, you you expect better than a four nine one ERA uh, in a significant drop on off in strikeout numbers and a big rise in walk numbers. Uh, and that's really all they need to be. I mean, he did exactly what they wanted him to do last season. And uh, I still think there is room for improvement. And his run prevention was probably, uh, yeah, it looks like his run prevention was really um, milked by a few bad starts or a few bad outings rather. But um, yeah, this is a good move for the Dodgers. It's obviously a team that you see, they won the World Series. They are the measuring stick, but the Padres, you know, they're making those moves and they want that division. So the Dodgers are going to need every secure move possible to ensure that the NL West stays in Los Angeles. Uh, yeah, for sure. And maybe I was uh, hyping up trying in a little too much. Four, six, four, seven, six ERA in the playoffs. Um, I guess it was a couple bad outings, but I guess that's every reliever. Um, but yeah, he like, he's definitely, um, he's usually pretty reliable. He's, I, I think he should be, pretty good in that uh in that dodgers in that dodgers bullpen i guess his strikeout numbers are going down a little bit um oakland i don't know oakland seemed to fix him a little bit but then he had a bad year in 2019 but that could have been due to injury and yeah now yeah kind of in a in a midpoint i mean i guess next year in a full season will be kind of a defining point in how we look at Blake Trinan, because he only pitched like 25, he only pitched 25 and two thirds innings last year. But um, yeah, this is just the type of move that the Dodgers can make. You know, if they're, even if they're unsure of a guy, they can still sign him for $18 million. It's not, not that big of a deal. And they also got Tommy Canely in the last couple of weeks. So like that really, uh, that's another move to bolster their bullpen. Yeah. Uh, Canely, I believe. I don't know if he's going to be able to pitch too much next year because he got Tommy John surgery in like August. Yeah. Canely likely won't be pitching very much in 2021, but it was a two-year deal or yeah, it was a two-year deal. I mean, you can't really sign him to a one-year deal. That'd be kind of stupid. Yeah. So that, so that they could uh, have him in in 2022. Yeah. It's basically like a one-year deal, but with two years of salary. Yes. Yes. Um, and I guess Jansen still, in terms of run prevention, did have a better year than Trinan did last year. So maybe I should uh, get off of. And they're roughly the same bit. age, too, looks like. Yep, they are. It just seems it just seems uh, Jansen's uh, a lot older because he's been. I think it's because when Jansen when Jansen fails, it's more notable because he's been the closer for so long and he's on the pedestal of being one of the best relievers in the game for the last ten years plus. Yeah, uh, and trying and obviously he isn't expect there isn't as much expected from him. But when Jansen, you know, fails, it's it's gets hyped up a lot more. Yeah, for sure. And like, yeah, he had like crazy dominant years in uh in sixteen and seventeen, and it's mm-hmm. been a little different but yeah he's still pretty good um and like you know i guess his stuff is not as effective as it used to be but we will we will see with the uh with the dodgers bullpen because i guess that was sort of a concern uh back in the back in the postseason but didn't end up biting them at all uh in the end but yeah that's uh that's the blake trinan deal and the last my little minor deal that we're talking about is the nationals 
signed uh, Kyle Schwarber for one year, $10 million. Uh, still, it is unclear whether there will be a DH or not in the NL. So we will see where he hen- where he ends up in the lineup or in the field, or if he has to be in the field at all. But uh, the Nationals looking to get some uh, a little bump in offense. Yeah, I like this move a lot. Um, Kyle Schwarber was one of my guys to watch at the beginning of the season in 2020. Obviously, that didn't end up working out too well, but I still think that he's got a lot of potential uh, to be strong for the Nationals. I mean, he's obviously an upgrade because you were looking at Andrew Stevenson uh, to have that starting role in the outfield instead. Uh, but instead, we're now looking at Kyle Schwarber, who's been one of, you know, discarding. I know you can't just take out 2020, but if you were to do that, you are still looking at one of the strongest players in the league is from an offensive standpoint. And I know his defense needs some work. Uh, but he is still 27. So it's not like, you know, he's he's a lost cause, so to speak. Yeah. You know, but, uh, you know, career wise, uh, a 113 OPS plus. Uh, 480 slugging um, is pretty notable. If you if you need some power from a guy, uh, he's a guy that can that can deliver upon that. And uh, yeah, I mean, like the Nationals, I guess after um, after last season when Rendon left, we were like, all right, this uh, this lineup isn't really that isn't really that deep. And I guess, you know, Trey Turner's stepped up in a big way, but you know, Howie, uh, Howie Kendrick has just retired. Uh, Eric Thames was not very good and he's left. And uh, I guess they, and yeah, they, they traded for Josh Bell, who's kind of a question mark right now. So I guess they're kind of looking at, looking at guys who were good at points guys that can hit the ball hard for sure. Kyle Schorber definitely falls in that category and uh, seeing what they can do with them. He's a guy who definitely could benefit from a change of scenery. Uh, I know that Chicago's in a weird spot right now where they're, you know, they are rebuilding even though they won the division last year. Uh, but I still think that is the right move on their part. And I know that, you know, Schorber is a free agent who is non-tendered. So this is not exactly about the Cubs, but um, you know, on that team, it seemed like, no one was really set for a career year in 2021. Uh, so Kyle Schorber ended up going. It's one of the pieces from their 2016 team. And uh, I think that he has a chance to make a difference in this Washington lineup. Uh, you know, he's going to be, obviously he's going to be an upgrade and he needs to work on his defense. And um, I think I kind of said everything I really needed to before. I mean, he's only 27. So like there is certainly, he does certainly have time uh, to figure some stuff out. And uh, if you can get back to that, like, 2017, 2019 form of offense, uh, the Nationals are looking a lot better with him in there. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, he's a guy who, you know, is talked about, I guess, on baseball Twitter. People point out, like, his savant stats and, like, look at his... His savant was awesome in 2019, I will say that. Yeah, look at his, like, look at his expected slugging, look at his hard hit percentage, you know, a lot of it, a lot of his lack of success sometimes have to do, has to do with him not hitting the ball, having a high strikeout rate. He uh, had more than a strikeout per game last year, but, you know, maybe, uh, I mean, I, I don't recall, you know, national, the nationals, like as of late getting 
a player and sort of transforming him offensively, but maybe that can be. Maybe that's where it starts. I guess Howie Kendrick, you could look at. Howie Kendrick, yeah, I guess Howie Kendrick. He kind of had. Or Ostrubel Cabrera, because he came over in 2019 and then raked. Yeah, Yeah, Harry Kendrick did, you know, in his second to last year in baseball, had his best offensive year. Um, So I guess maybe that is a, uh, a possibility. Yeah, Ostrubel Cabrera came over to the Nationals in 2019 and then hit 969 OPS uh, with them for the remainder of that season. But anyway, the last piece of news I'll be talking about, we'll be be talking about. um, So it appears that DJ LeMahieu and the Yankees are uh, not close in terms of uh, contract negotiations. And... Um, he's considering looking at he's considering more looking into uh, other teams like the Blue Jays, the uh, Mets, and I forget the other team that was mentioned. Uh, it was the Blue Jays, the Mets, and the Dodgers. Poss- possibly. I'm pretty sure the Dodgers, the Dodgers were definitely talking to him. I know that. Um, yeah, and uh, I think this is a bit of um, – I think this this word got out not accidentally. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, this is definitely a scenario where I think a lot going into the, the offseason, I don't know how executives were looking at this, but I think from a fan standpoint, it seemed like a lock that DJ LeMahieu was going to go back to the Yankees. Uh, that was, I mean, if I was presented with that one, I would have said, I wouldn't even have, I wouldn't even have given it a second thought. Like it would have been like, yeah, he goes to the Yankees and that's that. Seems like that's not exactly the case, and it certainly could have got out to give other teams word that they had a, a real fighting chance. Uh, you know, teams like the Blue Jays, maybe even the Mets, maybe the Dodgers that are like, oh, wait, the Yankees aren't in on him. Well, let's go get him. Let's steal him. And I kind of understand where the Yankees are coming from, but I still don't agree with their logic because LeMahieu is a guy that's fairly old. Uh, this is his second free agency, I believe. And um, yeah, this is his second free agency. He's going into his age 32 season and he's only, he's been a guy that's only played in hitter friendly ballparks his entire career. So it is shaky. Uh, especially if you want to give him like a five, six year deal, that's going to take him into age 37, which isn't ideal considering what you project he'll be doing at that point. But if you're the Yankees, you're trying to win now. And DJ LeMahieu makes you a better team right now and can win you a world series right now doesn't really matter what your team's going to look like in 2025. You can figure that out as you go because you're the Yankees and you're usually good at doing that stuff. I don't understand why the Yankees are so against, you know, getting this guy that will very clearly put them over the top and, or keep them over the top rather and make them into a world series contender because you saw, you know, between 2018 and 2019, when DJ LeMahieu came over, he gave that Yankee offense a whole new identity you know, it is weird because in 2018, they did set the record for most home runs hit by a single team in one year, but it still felt like something was missing. And DJ LeMahieu turned out to be just that. And, you know, a couple unlucky playoff attempts, a couple bounces don't go their way in 2020 and 2019 of the playoffs. But if you're going to get rid of that guy, it's hard to picture the Yankees being over the top and winning a World Series going forward. Um, Yeah, for sure. And uh, my thing and uh, i guess i should read uh what i what we saw on uh on the internet uh this is a tweet from 
Zach Kreiser. It says the Yankees are slow playing DJ LeMahieu uh, as the league slow plays its free agents generally. And DJ has just about had it. Source tells T at T Brown Yahoo, uh, the star hitter has told his reps to talk to other teams. And it's a quote. And then it's a picture of a quote where he's basically saying, um, I want to look at the Dodgers, Blue Jays, Mets more. Um, and among other teams, but, you know, targeting those three teams that have shown a particular interest. But uh, yeah, I think um, ultimate, I, it made me believe even more, and this is odd how I'm uh, believing in this, I guess, but it makes me believe even more that the Yankees and LeMahieu will get a deal done because I think, um, I think, DJ LeMahieu wants to be with the Yankees. Um, I do too. I, th- I think he definitely does. And he probably had his agent get this word out there. You know, it's it's come up multiple times that the uh, Yankees and LeMahieu are, you know, not really particularly close in contract negotiations. The first, the first report said that they were $25 million apart. Yeah. It's been more public than any – and I guess it's different for him because um, this is him going, this would be him going back to another team, but like you're not seeing other free agents get this type of um, play. So I think he's basically saying like, he's basically letting the word get out that like, yeah, he's not satisfied with what the Yankees are paying. And then maybe the Yankees get a little more pressure to up the price a little bit because he's he's letting the word get out there for sure and uh you know he he definitely because i feel like if he didn't really care about uh the yankees he'd just be like all right i'm on to another team i I don't really care about going back to the yankees if they're gonna offer me this he definitely wants to be with the yankees um and he just and uh but he also wants that number to be high Mm -hmm. and i think he's letting letting everybody know about it I mean, it makes sense. I mean, when you have that scenario where everyone just assumes he's going back to the Yankees, the Yankees probably have that in mind and are thinking, okay, maybe we could sneakily lowball him here, give him less than what he really deserves. And DJ LeMahieu, for all his credit, he's not stepping down to that. And if that goes public, that certainly does give the Yankees a lot of more pressure. That is a really good point that you bring up. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, like it's it's not going to be easy for the Yankees and, and LeMahieu. Um, LeMahieu is uh, making sure of that. But yeah, that's all I really had to say about that. I think it's just, uh, it tells you, it tells me personally that he definitely wants to be with the Yankees, but uh, like, any, like, like any free agent would, he, um, he wants that number to be high in the, uh, in the dollars column. I feel like he won't feel as comfortable going to a team like the, blue jays or dodgers or mets he'll he he likes he likes the yankees but um he wants the yankees to like him a little more but uh yeah i guess that brings us to uh, our bubble case of the week yes this is our third to last uh bubble case of the week before there's actually you know there's actually your result to uh where these uh where these bubble cases end up and none of them end up in the hall of fame this year i'll tell you that None of them, none of them end up in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, it's not, no one is above 75% right now. Um, No one's going to be. 
no it's going to be so i was talking i was telling chris this off can uh, off off air it's going to be so depressing on january 26th when mlb network does like six hours of election coverage before before it's revealed like the mlb twitter account like tweets out like who will be going to the hall of fame cooperstown will be enshrining new legends this summer to go along with Derek Jeter, Larry Walker, Ted Simmons, and Marvin Miller, who will be joining them. And then nobody joins them. Not a single person is going to join them this year. Yeah, I'm wondering if, like, the uh, the Anthony Reavers of the world just don't want more people to join Derek Jeter on stage. That's definitely not it. Like, um, <laughs> Speaking of him, he hasn't even put out a ballot yet. Yeah, I don't know if they'll ever make anything public again. I don't know. Well, here's the thing, though. I distinctly remember his ballot. He drops Bonds, Clemens, Vizquel, Manny, and I think Schilling from his ballot last year. He dropped all those guys so he could make an only Jeter ballot. Since Jeter isn't on the ballot anymore, he could probably add all those guys back and actually make actually make a somewhat like sufficient-looking ballot. Yeah, it is true. That is a good. That is a good point you bring up there. Um, but yeah, Billy Wagner, uh, this is one of the more interesting cases we have. We've talked about, um, we've talked about mostly position players. We've talked about two starting pitchers and one of them, uh, would be in, you know, without, uh, without the internet, I guess. Yes. And, uh, this is a relief pitcher and relief pitchers are, are odd because like they definitely don't have the, um, the production and wins above replacement does not benefit them uh, at all. But we agree that closers definitely have a, um, they have a steeper hill to climb. Yeah. They, they have a steeper hill to climb and like, you know, wins above replacement doesn't necessarily uh, appropriately value their role on a team uh, in terms of, you know, a guy that uh, comes in the ninth inning and uh, secures secures the victory for you and uh billy wagner was one of the best to do it uh in the ninth inning yeah and he was you know he joins kind of a a more modern look at the closer i think a lot of relief pitchers uh in the hall of fame already like you know dennis eckersley uh goose gossage hoyt will wilhelm mm-hmm. uh raleigh fingers those were guys who would consistently get like six seven out saves and you know their save percentages would uh would plummet do or you know not necessarily plummet but it would be significantly lower because of that and you know maybe they weren't uh looked at to be as dominant billy wagner you know mariano rivera uh, trevor hoffman were guys that were mostly put in to get get the final three outs and that and that was that yeah, so can I say something real quick about Eckersley? Uh, yes. So he was obviously a starter for a lot of his career, and he became basically a full-time reliever slash closer the year, the very year that he came to Oakland in 1987. And uh, from 1987 on, he had a 136 ERA plus, 296 ERA, uh, and also 774 strikeouts and, 70, and 789 and two-thirds innings pitch. So just under um you know nine strikeouts per nine 7.7 hits per nine and uh you know pretty good um era with all things considered for that era yeah uh yeah actually is a pretty um 
interest, interesting case. I think most of his innings were most of his innings were f- from being a starter, and most yeah. of his appearances were as a reliever. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, pretty interesting. But yeah, uh, Billy Wagner. We're, we'll talk about where he is at <clears throat> in terms of uh, the Hall of Fame votes and all that. He's in his sixth ballot. Uh, he started at ten point five percent in twenty sixteen, which was yeah uh, his first ballot, and uh, he kind of stayed there until uh, last year. He received a fifteen percent increase from twenty nineteen to twenty twenty, where he went from sixteen point seven percent to thirty one point seven percent, and uh, currently, uh, as it stands now, has fifty one point five percent of the vote out of 130 known ballots. And he's been one of the guys who's netted some of the most uh, out of yeah. everyone. The three, the three guys with the three guys that have had big gains this year uh, are three guys that we've talked about. Billy Wagner, of course, right now. And then previous bubble cases like Scott Rowland and Todd Hilton. Those have been the three biggest gains uh, this year. And it's certainly looking real up for these guys that someday they could get in. Yes. Uh, yeah, we've noticed it's been a very large increase. Scott Rowland, I think he's at 68% currently. He could probably uh, get in next year. Yeah, it's very, very possible. Uh, I guess, you know, I want, I wonder what changed in the uh, writers' minds. Maybe they went more into the uh, sabermetrics. I don't know. We'll see. Possibly. I know, I know, I read one guy's uh, column who added Rowland today, and he literally said, like, after taking further examination, I've noticed that Scott Rowland, like, on an offensive and defensive side of the ball, analytically did live up to that hype and did uh you know would fit well with his hall of fame peers so yeah yeah that is definitely part of it yeah it, it must be it must be and like you know i didn't really you know i didn't put him on the uh the ballot last year and i've recognized that more uh more this year but yeah but you didn't you didn't know as much last year like you were yeah yeah, this is last year was kind of an introduction to the Hall of Fame for you. This year, I'm giving you the full full perspective. Yeah, and like, um, I I was sort of weird about it because I was like, I didn't want to be someone that was like, all right, he has a high WAR, so he's automatically yeah. in the Hall of Fame. Sort of like I didn't want to just look at his wins wins above replacement and determine he was. Uh, it is weird that war particularly gets a lot of hate because it's kind of like the leader of the pack as far as like advanced analytics that have been taking over the game over the last 10 years. Like whenever someone cites how much they hate analytics, it's like, Oh, these guys with their war, like that's always the first one. Uh, and it's interesting because that's kind of the one that tells the whole story better than anything else. Yeah. I mean, it, it, uh, it's the only thing that it's the only thing really that applies both offense and defense. Yeah. And as a pitcher, it's like, you know, pitching ability, strikeout ability, uh, peripheral ability, stuff like that. Production. Yeah. Uh, with, with innings and all that, you know, a guy, you know, you see a guy with 250 innings and the same ERA as a guy with 200 innings, uh, 250 inning guy is going to get rewarded for, for that. But yeah, uh, you know, war is definitely, and you know, as we transition for, into Billy Wagner, war is weird with uh, with pitchers. Billy Wagner had twenty seven point seven B war and twenty four point zero F war, and the average Hall of Fame 
uh, reliever B war is 39.1. But if you take out Dennis Eckersley, who had 361 starts, uh, the average Hall of Fame reliever B war is 35.8. So Wagner would be about eight under that marker. And Wagner has 19.8 peak war, uh, best seven seasons of war combined. And that is 6.2 below the average Hall of Fame reliever, and it is 4.5 below average if you take out uh, Eckersley uh, in that in that um, comparison. And also on the surface, uh, you can see Billy Wagner, 2.31 career ERA, 2.73 uh, career FIP, and 187 ERA plus uh, in 903.0 innings pitched. Uh, he also has 422 saves, which is sixth all time. Uh, and in the postseason, he did not necessarily help his case, but it's something to go over in the on the surface stats. 10.03 ERA in uh, just 11 and two thirds innings pitched in the postseason. And uh, in terms of, you know, looking looking on the surface, in terms of what you see on the on the standard stat sheet, very comparable very comparable to relievers of today's game like uh, Craig Kimbrell or oldest Chapman and Kenley Jansen. Uh, Wagner was kind of the original archetype of that reliever, a guy who can get a lot of strikeouts, uh, strike his way out of situations and um, prevent, prevent hits a lot is uh, was his big thing for sure. And like, even, even with walks, I think he still had a better than average uh, walk rate too. Three, three walks per nine yeah yeah that's that's better than average because i think the your your average pitcher has like three and a half walks per nine or something like that that's but right. uh how what do we see on the surface from uh billy wagner so i made sure to add in that last bit because you know usually when we do the on the surface stats we compare them to uh to other players with similar career numbers that doesn't really exist with billy wagner because all the guys that you can compare him to the most are still playing so that leads me to believe and to evidently say that he was ahead of his time he was craig kimball before there was a craig kimball he was araldus chapman before there was araldus chapman he was kenley jansen before there was a kenley jansen and those guys they were our three you know easy picks uh even though we only had to pick two for relievers of the decade uh when we did that show last year right so billy wagner was a guy that sort of almost paved the way for guys like that because of the way he was able to perform uh he made it you know if you want to, if you want an idea of what Craig Kimbrell or Aldis Chapman or Kenley Jansen's careers would look like, you know, on a more lengthy scale, you're looking at Billy Wagner's career. And the fact that nobody else was able to do it at his time leads me to believe uh, that he's a hall of famer. Yeah. And uh, we'll get into comparisons. And usually with comparisons, I look at, I look at like certain, certain range of war, certain range of innings, but we're not going to do that because there's only eight Hall of Fame relievers. Um, so we'll just take a look at um, how he compares to some of those Hall of Fame relievers just in general, uh, see see where he lines up. Um, so the first comparison, basically just a, just a number comparison. Uh, Billy Wagner versus Bruce Suter, who's a Hall of Fame reliever, pitched in mostly the 70s and 80s. Uh, Wagner... And Bruce Suter, Hall of Fame reliever, by the way. Um, so, you know, that's ha- that's what we're compar- comparing, you know, best of the best. 
uh, Wagner had a higher B war, uh, 27.7 to 24.0. Uh, Suter had the higher peak war. Uh, Suter actually, ironically enough, had a better peak war than actual total wins above replacement. Uh, oddly, oddly enough, as he had some negative seasons as well and a sh pretty short career. But Suter uh, wins the battle in terms of peak war, had 24.3 peak war. Uh, Wagner had 19.8. Uh, Suter slightly has the edge in terms of Jaws, 24.2 to 23.7. Uh, but Wagner, in terms of run pre prevention, especially compared to his era, has a big advantage, uh, 187 ERA plus and 903 innings pitched. Suter had a 136 ERA plus in 1,042 innings pitched and not a huge uh, innings advantage there. So I guess Wagner definitely has the advantage there, but you can see very comparable to a uh, Hall of Fame type yeah. uh, reliever. And uh, the second comparison to look at, Billy Wagner versus Lee Smith, who uh, was elected in the... Um, Veterans era in 2018. Veter no, it, was, it was the today's game era committee in 2018. I'm sorry. Yeah, he, he got elected along with. Uh, we don't need to names. talk about that. Yeah. We're not going to talk about that. That was the worst thing that ever happened. But yeah, uh, Lee Smith, he was the uh, all time saves leader before Trevor Hoffman. Uh, yeah. If, uh, if you've heard if you've heard of him before. And it is funny, like he was he there were Hall of Fame elections while he still had the saves record and he still was yeah. barely, like yeah. barely breaking 50%. By the way, do you, do you by chance remember at all where you were when that election happened? The today's game era. Yeah. Do you like have any memory of that? Um, I remember seeing it, you know, on the internet. Okay. Because like I, sp I strictly remember I had been keeping track of it. Like I remember I, I didn't, I wasn't as educated on that, you know, era of baseball and who deserved to be in and who not. But um, I read an article uh, going into it on like who should make it, like who is most likely to make it, who is least likely to make it. And Lee Smith was like the only lock from that day. So I was like, okay, like if Lee Smith makes it, then that's cool. And then like there were three players who were least likely and one of them was Harold Baines. And obviously Harold Baines got the nod and I remember thinking like what like are you serious that we're letting this guy in and then I looked at his baseball reference and I was even more confused because I was like yeah no wonder he was least likely and then my favorite thing was about like 20 minutes after the news was broken someone on Twitter like a verified source who had reached out to to Baines said that like he was shocked to find out I was like yeah me too <laughs> I was shocked too yeah that's one of those I wonder if like Harold Baines is, is into any of like the uh, saber metrics and was like, wow, that's, are you sure? Are you what sure if he just didn't that? accept his plaque? <laughs> he was like, I, I thank you guys so much, but like, I, I can't do this. Like, you know, I'm not worthy. You know what? Just give me the plaque. I'll just take it. I'll just take it home with me. Yeah, no, don't, I don't put, put it, it in Cooper. Like, it's just like a cool thing to have, but like, I don't actually deserve it. Yeah, a, a sabermetrician, Harold Baines. It's like it's like Ryan. It's like Ryan Tapera's uh, MVP vote. Yeah, Harold Baines goes up and he's like, "For the integrity of this Hall of Fame, I will not be accepting <laughs> this this election into the game's greatest. I definitely do not compare to any of these people 
uh, <laughs> over here. <laughs> so, yeah, like it's up there with like Mariano Rivera, like Mike Mussina. Uh, who else got in that year? Roy Halladay. He and his family accepted for him. Uh, and then Edgar. <laughs> like yeah. i don't know if you if any of you here are aware i only had 1.8 wins above average that's <laughs> that means i was one point literally that's that's what it was are you are you guys aware that my best win season on on a baseball reference was 4.6 <laughs> yeah that was yeah. my best i've yeah i've never yeah on the on the baseball reference website it says five plus b war is like all-star level I never hit that mark. I never I even came close. <laughs> by the way, like you know how fifty war, fifty wins above replacement is like the standard. I had thirty-eight. Yeah, like even forty is like tough to let slide. But I didn't even get there. Yeah, and uh, really, like I didn't really make much of an impact on on really any team I played for. It was really- no, well, except it- for the eighty-three White Sox, <laughs> because that was on his plaque. If yeah, you look at his Hall of Fame plaque, it literally says like he was the leader of the 1983 Chicago White Sox. Uh, a t- first of all, he had a 109 OPS plus on that team. Second of all, they didn't even they won one playoff game. Yeah, and he's like, "Yes, I know, I know, I had a better OPS than Derek Jeter, but I was a defensive liability." Oh, his and- actually his best WAR season was 4.3, not 4.6. I was I was giving him some praise there. Oh wow. Yeah. Um. <laughs> But yeah, um, back to uh, Billy Wagner and Lee Smith, how they compare against each other. Uh, Billy Wagner, uh, or Lee Smith, wins the B-War battle. He had 28.9. Wagner had 27.7. Uh, he also beats him in the uh, peak war. Uh, he had one more uh, win, win above replacement in terms of peak war than uh, Billy Wagner did. Uh, Smith had 24.8 jaws. Wagner, Wagner had 23.7, uh, but Wagner was superior in terms of run prevention by a lot. 187 ERA plus in 903 innings, as mentioned before. Uh, Smith, 132 ERA plus in almost 400 more innings, uh, 1,289 and a third innings pitched. Um, and yeah, had more saves and, and that nature. But I guess the biggest comparison you can make uh, in terms of Hall of Fame relievers versus Billy Wagner is Trevor Hoffman because they played in the exact same era. Yeah. All the numbers are uh, very, very comparable. In you know, they basically had the same exact role. That's the best comparison you can make in terms of uh, Billy Wagner versus other Hall of Fame relievers. So. Uh, Hoffman had 0.3 more B war than Billy Wagner did, but he also played uh, much longer. Yeah, he did play a uh, a good amount longer than Billy Wagner. And we're did. talking about WAR per 162. Billy Wagner comes out on top there. In fact, Billy Wagner uh, had a superior peak WAR to Trevor Hoffman. Uh, it was 19.8 to 19.4, and uh, they have the exact same jaws. Uh, so Billy Wagner, very, very comparable in terms of wins above replacement to uh, Trevor Hoffman. And in terms of run prevention, Wagner superior again, 187 ERA plus versus Hoffman's 141. 
Uh, Hoffman had close to 200 more innings pitched than Billy Wagner. So if you can take that into account in terms of production. Uh, also, Wagner had a 558 OPS against. Uh, Hoffman's was up to uh, 609. And uh, Hoffman did beat him in save percentage with 88.8%. Uh, Wagner had 85.9%. But so, you know, still pretty comparable. And uh, Wagner beats him in strikeouts uh, despite having almost 200 less innings pitched. 1,196 strikeouts to Hoffman's uh, 1,133 if you're uh, big into strikeouts. So what do we see from the comparisons? I see like, a lo- I see a lot of similarities here. Yeah. And that's what I'm going for here is like, if you put Billy Wagner up with the average hall of fame reliever, he hangs. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's more of a debate of whether like how, how much you value relievers and whether you think those guys deserve well, to be in the hall of fame. Every, everyone who has voted in the baseball hall of fame for the last three years has voted for a reliever at some point. Yes. So that is true. That They're is not true. completely off the table. They are. Yes, that is true. So um, now we get into the case against and for Billy Wagner. Uh, we'll start with the case against. Uh, just generally speaking, uh, putting in relievers can be weird as they don't accumulate many innings or production compared to starters. You know, Billy Wagner had like 900 innings pitched. Kurt Schilling, who we're talking about, had thirty over 3,200. And, like, you know, Mark Burley had uh, over over 3,000 innings pitched as well. So it's – in terms of production, it uh, can be interesting how relievers are looked at, although you the argument against that is, you know, they're put in the most crucial, crucial of situations. And, in fact, if elected – uh, Billy Wagner uh, would have the least amount of innings of anyone going into the Hall of Fame as a pitcher, and the pitcher with the next fewest innings would have would still have 15% more innings than Billy Wagner did. Uh, so he did not produce that many innings. So I guess that's sort of why his wins of a replacement is uh, is a little lower, even with his uh, very good run prevention. Uh, the case against him also could be uh, below average B war, below average peak war, and below average Jaws for a uh, Hall of Fame reliever. Jaws, by the way, is the um, average between your total yeah. wins above replacement and your peak wins above replacement. That is what Jaws is. So it takes into account both longevity and your dominance in your uh, in your era. If that was not made uh, aware. And although he is comparable to Trevor ha- Trevor Hoffman, uh, Wagner's win probability added, which is a big, which is a bigger stat for relievers. It benefits relievers a lot. Like I think Mariano Rivera is fifth or sixth all time, and I guess you know he did play for great teams, so his win probability added would be higher. But Wagner's win probability added added is closer to Jonathan Papelbon and. Francisco Rodriguez than it is to uh, Trevor Hoffman. And another case, I guess, with uh, Billy Wagner's number of saves is there are players ahead of him in the saves leaderboard that are not in the Hall of Fame. And 
uh, also in terms of in terms of saves, Wagner <clears throat> Wagner only finished top five in saves four times. Uh, if you want to compare him to the other Hall of Fame relievers, Hoffman finished top five in saves ten times compared to four times, and Lee Smith finished top five eleven times. <clears throat> And uh, the last the last uh, thing you could have against Billy Wagner is that 10.03 playoff ERA kind of puts a little dent in his uh, resume, especially when the importance of relievers is increased more than anyone uh, in the playoffs. So that's the case against Billy Wagner being a, a Hall of Famer. But now we'll get into the case uh, of why he may be a, a hall of famer. Yeah. So you mentioned the lack of innings pitched and I, I do, you know, obviously he only got 900 innings, which isn't a ton on a hall of fame standpoint, but he made all 900 of those innings count. Uh, he is the strikeouts per nine all time leader, minimum 670 play innings pitched. And that's not necessarily a cherry pick because that's still 233 innings below the amount that he pitched. So if you were to, you know, take someone, who pitched exactly that many innings less than Billy Wagner in baseball history, they don't have more strikeouts per nine. His 11.9 still uh, reigns at the top. He also had 12 seasons with 45 innings pitched and 10 Ks per nine. Uh, he, he had no other. Okay. So he has 12 of those such seasons. And when he retired, no other reliever in baseball history had more than eight. And currently no other reliever has more than nine. So his 12 seasons with 45 innings pitched and 10 strikeouts per nine, at least, are the most by any reliever in baseball history. Also, if we're talking about Mariano Rivera here, the greatest closer of all time, the only unanimous Hall of Famer, if he came out of retirement, faced exactly 782 batters, and he struck out every single one of them, Billy Wagner would still have a higher strikeout percentage than Mariano Rivera career-wise. Uh, just to put in perspective how good he was, he struck out over a third of the batters he faced with a 33.2 strikeout percentage for his career. He is also the only pitcher in the live ball era, that is since 1920, with 700 plus innings pitched and a whip below one. That is walks plus hits divided by innings pitched. Uh, he allowed he pitched more innings than he allowed base runners in his career, and no one else has done that with at least 700 innings pitched in the last 100 years. He also has six seasons with 190 ERA plus, ERA plus, and 10 plus strikeouts per nine. That is the most in baseball history, and no other reliever has ever had more than three of such seasons. He has six. He's doubled the next best among relievers. He is also the only pitcher in baseball history with 400 innings pitched and six or less hits per nine allowed. Uh, that would be uh, 5.99 hits allowed exactly. Uh, also, Billy Wagner, Mariano Rivera, and Hall of Famer Hoyt Wilhelm are the only pitchers in the live ball era to have at least 13 seasons with 40-plus innings pitched and an ERA below three. Uh, he had great run prevention pretty much every year as a reliever. And from 1999 to 2006, which is right around where his peak was, he, was, he had the second-best reliever F4 in the majors, of course, behind Mariano Rivera. And he was only four wins behind him, so it wasn't like it was complete, you know, blown out of the water. And lastly, his 11 seasons with 60 or more strikeouts and 30 or less walks 
are the most in baseball history. So that is Billy Wagner's Hall of Fame case. Not only do I think he's a Hall of Famer, but I think there's a fair case to be made that he's the second best reliever of all time. There, uh, yeah, there is a case to be made. Yeah, like a 187 ERA plus is uh, absurd. Very, very, very notable. Yes. Um, <clears throat> for sure. And yeah, like behind Rivera, it's kind of a a a race for for second. And yeah, Billy Wagner could definitely uh, win that race there. But uh, yeah, that's that's Billy Wagner, mm-hmm. the case for and against him um definitely very considerable and yeah that is the uh that's the conclusion of this week's uh little news hall of fame case episode um we hope you and we hope you enjoyed um we hope you enjoyed this episode if you're listening on apple Podcasts or spotify want to watch us talk want to watch all the hall of fame breakdowns um Go to our YouTube channel. It is called Above Replacement Radio. Uh, if you <clears throat> want to follow us on social media, uh, follow me on Twitter at Chris underscore Gianta. Follow Daniel on both Twitter and Instagram at Daniel underscore Curran. And also follow the show Instagram at Above Replacement Radio. And we hope you enjoyed this uh, MLB News slash hall of fame case episode and we hope to see you on thursday where we will be talking about joe dimaggio and on friday where we will be talking about uh i'm forgetting the team we're talking about you know it it's the uh they're very recent the 2019 nationals yeah we'll be talking about on friday so see you then